Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Last Show on Earth. I'm Alistair Brammer. And I'm John Owen-Jones. And welcome to the podcast, where each episode we ask our guest the big, big question that nobody ever bothered to ask. If there was a huge asteroid hurtling towards Earth, threatening to destroy life as we know it, and you could see one more show before you die, what would it be? It can be anything you want, a show you've already seen, one you wish you've seen, or something you've completely made up entirely. Now today we are joined by someone who has been there, seen it all, won all the awards, and then done it all again, more than once. A quiet, unassuming giant in the world of musical theatre who has directed, written, produced, and helped create some hugely successful musicals on Broadway and in the West End. Shows like Miss Saigon, Big, Starting Here, Starting Now, Baby, The Pirate Queen, Closer Than Ever, Fosse, Song and Dance, Ain't Misbehaving, and much more. We are talking about Mr. Richard Maltby Jr., of course, who joined us online from his New York home in between work engagements. Yes, he still keeps on working, even though he's in his mid-80s. Incredible. Now, we recorded this back in June 2022, and time was short due to Richard's always busy schedule. But we managed to squeeze lots into our chat, including how an octogenarian theatre legend decorates his home office, the romance and cost of going to the theatre, and sitting down and doing crosswords with Stephen Sondheim and Leonard Bernstein. So let's get cracking as the meteor is fast approaching. Please enjoy the last show on earth of Mr Song and Dance himself, Richard Maltby Jr. Question five. Who is the person to have conceived and directed the only two musical reviews to have won the best musical, Tony? Me. (laughs) (laughs) On here we ask a question Nobody dared to ask If you had a day to live What show would be your last? What is your last show on earth? This is the last show on earth My name is John My name is Al Been friends a long time past Want to know what show you'd see If you knew it was to be your last What is your last show on earth? This is the last show on earth What is your last show on earth? This is the last show on earth Welcome to the last show on earth, Mr Richard Maltby Jr. Hey, how are you doing? All right? Good, good, good. Hello, Mr. Richard Maltby Jr. I'm a big fan. I'm very much looking forward to our chat. Good, good, good. Alistair, you are really looking very good, I must say. You have more teeth than I ever thought you had. Oh, and it's really very thank nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, um, do you know what it is? It's because I've been in this, I've been in a hot country for like a month. And so I, I, I'm just getting a bit more tanned around here. Ah, so it makes maybe that's it. That maybe story. that's it. You're looking healthy for the first time, as opposed to those British, the British <laughs> pallor that everybody has. Yeah. Where are you? I'm in I'm in Morocco. 
um, filming at the moment. Well, good for um, you. I actually sliced my finger open yesterday on set. Big, big slice down my hand. Um, I, um, oh. It was uh, on someone's shield. There must have been a hangnail or something, and it sliced down my finger. God. But um, it's all good. It's all good. I'm almost finished now. Oh, well, I'm sure that, you know, everyone's looking after you, Alistair, with your tiny little finger cut, like Liesl from The Sound of Music. That's right. <laughs> 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 yeah. My finger. Yes. Uh, well, um, OK, well, look, let's get straight into it. Um, we normally, you know, do a bit of a preamble here, but I think... Having found out what your choice is, it's really interesting, uh, your last show on Earth. So why don't we jump straight into it then? Okay. Uh, And then we'll get to know you throughout the chat. Does that sound good for you? Sure. Great. So, um, well, Richard, why don't you tell us, what is your last show on Earth? Well, it will be different. It would be rather tricky. Uh, um, um, I'll tell you what my choice is, but the reason why it was tricky is that when I was uh, at Yale... um, in, in in 1955 to 1959, um, New Haven was one of the out-of-town tryout cities. Uh-huh. In those days, all shows, all Broadway shows went out of town first. They went to Boston or Philadelphia. And usually they went to New Haven for a week to break in before they went to Boston or Philadelphia. So the real world premieres were in New Haven. Oh, cool. So I discovered that you could um, usher. And, um, you know, not only see the show for free, but get paid $7, to, you know, for the evening. <laughs> so I saw the first performance ever of My Fair Lady. Wow. The first performance wow. ever of Sound of Music. The first wow. performance ever of Fiorello. The first performance ever of Long Day's Journey Tonight. What? Visit with the Lunts. Um, uh, Raisin in the Sun. Wow. Um, and they are all these extraordinary events. I mean, nobody knew that a, that a musical about based on Pygmalion was anything. And besides, that's Russ Harrison and this girl, um, you know. Yeah. And um, and at the intermission, you could just hear everybody saying, is this as good as I think it is? <laughs> um, and uh, so th- those were uh, extraordinary performances that, I wouldn't mind seeing again. I also, uh, during that period, West, uh, West Side Story opened in New York, and I used wow. to go. Um, you you could t- have a class Saturday morning, get on a train, and get to uh, be in the theater at 2.30 in New York. And I can't tell you the number of times I went in and just saw West Side Story again. I mean, it was like wow. mind-blowing. Um, so any of those are real possibilities. But if I really had to pick the show I wouldn't mind seeing again and again and again, I would pick my, uh, my own uh, Ain't Misbehaving because it, it's always seemed to be a kind of uh, magical occurrence. I mean, I, I'm always astonished that it holds together the way it does, that it does what it does. Um, it is a perfect thing. And I, I can say that with no ego involved because it doesn't seem to be connected to me, even though I, in fact, put the show together and it is, in fact, my work. But it also feels yeah. like, you know how J.K. Rowling yeah. said she was in a train station and, and that all the Harry Potter things just came to her, you know, and she basically wrote them down. Yeah. They existed in another universe and she had just been given the privilege of writing it down. That's yeah, sort yeah, of what yeah. I think, that Amos Payman existed in an alternate universe and I was given the privilege mm. of bringing it into the world. And, uh, oh. and there were so many extraordinary mystical things that yeah. happen, I- including, I don't know how well you know the show, but halfway through the show, we introduced the, uh, on Broadway, we introduced the actual physical band, 
and so we had a scene in a in a in a dance hall. Um, and Arthur Farrier, the choreographer, had this idea for a dance. Yeah. What we didn't have was a song. There was no song in any of Fats Waller's canon that had anything to do. There was something about a guy who was sort of handsome and you could kind of make it work, but it really didn't work. Okay. Murray Horwitz, my partner, who has every jazz record known to man, finds himself in the village and he finds a music, a record store he has never seen before. He went in the back and there was a bin that said jazz. He who has every jazz record in the world found a Fats Waller album that he had never seen before. He bought it and brought it home. We were looking for a ballad too and he played through, he called me over to play the ballad. I played the ballad and it went into the next track. And the next track starts, How You Baby, How's About a Little Dance? And it's about a rube picking up a girl (laughs) in a dance hall. Wow. I mean, (laughs) we already had the number and choreographed and thought. And and it was like Waller was up there in heaven saying, I'll give you one. (laughs) I'll give it to you. Yeah, that's extraordinary. What song was that? That was a song called How You Baby. And uh, it was written in 1929. And if you look at it, it... it's written like a modern book song. It doesn't even, yeah. it isn't even written like an old fashioned song. So anyway, I just think it's a perfect musical and I wouldn't mind seeing it again and again and again. And I used to go in and just think, oh, I'll just see a few minutes of the show. And I would always stay to the end because you can't get out of it. You can't, the show starts and you cannot get away from it. Yeah. Let me ask you, Richard, you've had an incredible career really with all the awards. I mean, not only are you famous as a lyricist and a director, but you know, you'd also, you, you, you do crosswords and oh, all this kind of yes, stuff. You're big, all that kind of stuff, which we'll talk to you about later because I'm a big cryptic crossword fan as well. Are you really? I mean, oh, God, forget the rest. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that good at them, but they're a constant, uh, it's a constant mountain to climb. You know, certainly when you, when you find uh, a setter that you like, regarding cryptic crosswords it's um i really enjoy then trying to get into the mind of the person who set them i particularly enjoy the times um the london times there's, yes. a, there's a setter called oricaria oricaria yeah i'm a big fan of his work it's very enjoyable i used to do them a lot when i was in phantom of the opera at her majesty's theater which coincidentally is where your last show on earth opened in london so everything's kind of connected in the world of theatre, wouldn't you agree? Uh, oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, that's, there are 12 people and we all know each other. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. you, John. You're new to me. You're new. Well, I mean, I haven't been in Ain't Misbehaving. I haven't been in uh, Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon. <laughs> I haven't been in Closer Than Ever and, and loads and loads of those shows. I've literally made a career out of playing two roles, which is fine by me, you know. But um, but I'm a big fan of your work, you know. I'm looking forward to um, I'm looking forward to seeing a misbehaving. I've never seen a production of it. And what, is it ever going to come back? Um, there are uh, moves afoot to come back to New York, um, and uh, uh-huh. there is a production that opens next week in uh, the Berkshires in New York and in, in Massachusetts, and uh, uh-huh. there's right. a production playing in in uh, Boston. Um, there's like there's a basically a production happening somewhere in the face of the earth every day, you know. Um, but, <laughs> but the great Camille Brown, who just did, did um, for mm-hmm. Color Girls, she has um, an idea of something she wants to do with it. And I don't usually give people permission to change the show. You know, the show is like what it is. Yeah. Um, and people want to, you know, do things 
usually they want to sort of update it. And I keep saying, well, before you update it, would you really please understand what's already in it? Because <laughs> half yeah. of half of yeah. what you want to say yeah. is already in there. Yes. Sometimes people look for just any excuse to change something, don't they? they well, that's of, yeah. They just sort of want to make it different. They want to make it different. I, and now, Camille, I just said, as she told me what she wanted to do, and it, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And I said, you know, I don't give permission to change the show, but you're Camille Brown. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's not dissimilar to when sort of Marianne Elliott went to Stephen Sondheim and said, "Please, can I make Bobby a girl?" You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, he, he, his next sentence would be, "I don't know, but you're Marianne Elliott. Go do it." Yeah, Pro- prove to me that the idea works. Yeah, and let's give it a go. Yeah, and if there's yeah. anybody that you want to give, you want to trust, anyone whose intelligence you want to follow, good lord, Marianne Elliott, Jesus Christ, what a storyteller she is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we've got a little section that we call Al's 10 Questions, where we ask you 10 questions about your career. Okay. Would you like to do that now, Al's 10 Questions? Are you ready, Al? I'm ready. Are you ready, Richard? Sure. Dum, dum, dum. Question one. You were the co-lyricist for Miss Saigon. Complete this lyric. Why does Saigon never sleep at night? Why does this girl smell of... Orange trees. Correct. Question two. The Pirate Queen, which you helped create, played at what is now called the Lyric Theatre. But what was it called then? The, uh, the, uh, the bro- no. I don't think anybody remembers. The answer is the Hilton. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. What do you know? You okay. Question three. Your Tony-winning production of Fosse ran at the Broadhurst Theatre, but for how many performances? And I'm going to give you 100 either side. Uh, 1,100. Very good. 1,093. Fantastic. I'm seven off. Yeah, not bad. Question four. You were a creative on the musical version of Big. Can you give me three synonyms for the word big? (laughs) Ginormous, gigantic, and huge. (laughs) Very good. Question five. Who is the person to have conceived and directed the only two musical reviews to have won the best musical, Tony? Me. <laughs> Congratulations. Correct. Bravo, bravo. Question, question six. Your productions have won two Tony Awards, as we just heard. But how many Tonys have they been nominated for, according oh, to Wikipedia? Good Lord. Uh, for those two, just those two shows? No, for all the shows that you've been involved in. All the shows that I've oh. ever been involved in? Oh, God. Good Lord. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, for me... Um, Tony nominated? Mm-hmm. Well, I have I have 14 Tony nominations. They're right up there. Oh, he's got them all in front of him on the wall. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. One, two, okay, three, enough. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. No, they're, they're, they're 12. Uh, they're 12. Well, amazing. You've actually got them there. Well, okay. Well, then Wikipedia needs to be updated, darling, because it says nine on They're Wikipedia. very pretty. They're a very nice kind of wallpaper, you know? Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind having wallpaper like that. There are a couple of them that were, I was, I got like three on one production because I was a co-producer and I was, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Amazing. I see, Amazing. I see. Well, Wikipedia says nine, so Wikipedia is wrong. And That's there's the proof is. on your wall. Yes. Question number seven. You wrote the screenplay for Miss Potter, yes. a movie about Beatrix Potter. Name another famous Potter. You mean like Harry? <laughs> Very good. Harry Potter is perfectly acceptable. Correct. 
Number eight. What was the name of the award you won for the Miss Potter screenplay? The Christopher Award. Correct. The Christopher Award, wow. which is awarded to projects that affirm the highest values of the human spirit. Isn't that nice, John? Oh, yeah, lovely. It's a Catholic organization, and uh, I, you know, I'd never heard of it before. I'd never heard of it afterwards. But I got the award, along with some other people, and uh, I thought, screw it, I'm an award-winning screenplay writer. <laughs> an award's an award, Brilliant. quite right. Yeah. An award yeah. is an award, who cares where it came from? Totally, you know? totally. <laughs> Question number nine. Director Chris Noonan, who directed Miss Potter, is best known for directing which of my favorite childhood movies? Babe. Correct, Babe the Sheep Pig. And question ten, this is the last question. You were a writer of cryptic crosswords for Harper's Magazine. Yes. Solve this cryptic clue. Lloyd Webber and Maltby Jr.'s canned gonads. <laughs> Four, three, five. Canned gonads. Maltby and Webber's canned gonads. Four, three, five. It's an anagram. That's a clue. Well, I, yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> canned gonads. It's probably not even cryptic. That's probably You're probably overthinking it. Uh, song and dance. Yes! Song and dance. He's got... <laughs> Canned gonads is an anagram of song and dance. There we are. Bravo. Canned gonads. I, I, it's, a, it's, it's a rhyme that would not have occurred to me, but, you know, <laughs> why not? Well, you've got an amazing nine out of ten. Very, very good. Congratulations. I, I have lived my life and I'm aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you've had a hand in either creating, writing or directing a huge list of shows. But this was, was this your very first one, Ain't Misbehaving? Your first one that you directed and conceived? Uh, yes, it was. the. First, I mean, I had done uh, a, a little off-Broadway show that I direct that I just wrote. And I'd done a bunch of other smaller things. But but uh, that was the first one that I directed. And I... I had just sort of started directing. I direct, directed a couple of plays in Philadelphia, and uh, they had done well. Uh, I, I wanted to become a director in order to direct my own work, because mostly when our Davids and my work had been done by other directors, uh, they had mostly screwed up the songs. And I thought, <laughs> I, I thought that that was, I thought that was, first I thought it was our fault, like we, there was a flaw in the songs. And then I came to realize, yeah. No, the songs are just fine. <laughs> they're tricky. They're yeah. tricky. They actually they have a a surface sort of accessibility and then a, a deeper weight to it, which you've got to acknowledge. And and uh, that seems to be sort of a hallmark of what we do. And and uh, most of the time, people went with the sur the directors went with the surface and didn't go didn't go with the you know the inner life of the songs. Right. So I yeah, right. I discovered yeah. it because I did a, a review of our songs called Starting Here, Starting Now. And, and I made yeah. the same mistakes they made. I sort of oh, went, really? oh, oh, it seems like it's this kind of song, but it's really that. Oh. Yeah. And I sort of forgave all those terrible directors. And uh, It must have felt pretty good, though, for your very first sort of New York attempt at directing and a show that you've conceived to suddenly win every single award. I mean, to make that bigger splash that early on, where do you go from there? I thought, in point of fact... There were like a hundred reviews that the show got from little newspapers and big ones. And there wasn't a single bad sentence in any one of them. There wasn't any single review anywhere that said... It's extraordinary, this, this, isn't this it? Show, show. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's what Broadway is. 
<laughs> you open the show, and everybody says wonderful things about you. Yes. Welcome to Broadway, Richard. Yay, what a happy club. Guess what, guys? Yay. It's not true. <laughs> no, I really, I mean, it really was, was a, a, you know, within the next two years after the show opened, I did, we opened five different companies of Ain't Misbehaven. There were four ter- uh-huh. touring the United States and one in London, and uh, I just spent every waking day rehearsing a show, you know, either rehearsing the replacements for the existing shows or re- or a new cast, you know. Yeah. As the writer and the director, were you ever able to rewrite something to fit an actor a bit better, or did you have to make that actor fit the writing? Uh, hmm, hmm, that's interesting. Um, uh, there were a few changes that we made in the script of Miss Saigon for Jonathan Price because his his, his jokes uh, the gerbil line in in, uh, in American Dream is actually his um, when's that I don't think that was in our one what line was that I don't, I don't remember that one uh, something about a habit come on and grab come on and grab it, it, it a gerbil something and a rabbit yeah, oh like I, I know um, I actually remember yes it, it goes by very quickly yeah, but yeah. You know, I remember it because it's not mine. <laughs> remember the things that aren't. He yours. improvised it. And... Uh, it's it's from it's from What a Waste. That's where it's from. I just googled it. Uh... What a Waste, and he says um, says something along the lines. Oh yes, of, yes. Three girls, two gerbils, and a rabbit. What a waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. I do remember that. Yes, I, that, that actually was in our production. You were probably off stage, right? I was. Yes, I was up in my room getting into a pair of trousers. Yes, right. Good. Yeah, well, I right. saw the original London production of Miss Saigon, and I saw Alistair on Broadway, um, and you know it became a global phenomenon. And you'd already had some big hits. Is it fair to say that's one of the biggest hits you've been involved in? Well, in terms of of, of you know global expansion, uh, I mean, Ain't Miss Behaven had went around the world, but didn't have that sort of Cameron Macintosh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, flashy in every country yeah. on the face of the earth. You know, that's that's yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it was it was different. It was also an amazingly wonderful writing experience. I mean, uh-huh. Alain. <laughs> I, I will tell that. I mean, it's it's sort of a Atlanta Club Michelle coming off of of Les Mis. We're very full of themselves. <laughs> but the moment we went to work, Alain was not uh, arrogant at all. It was like it was uh, uh, um, we were working together. We we you know started at the beginning of the show and wrote a musical. They had written. They had laid the whole thing out. The score existed. Most of the songs existed um, in French. And the storyline yeah. was there, but it wasn't written as a play. There was there's something sort of yeah. rudimentary about about it all. But the structure was very very solid, and so we you know uh, reconceived. Uh, well, uh, being European, they didn't really understand the Vietnam War, and and um, and they also um, Chris was nobody. Chris was not a character at all. Okay. He was like Pinkerton in La Boheme. He was a shit. Yeah. Oh, you mean Madame Butterfly? Madame Butterfly. Uh, he, you know, he he was he was that, and 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 that was always yeah. a shortcoming of of uh, Madame Butterfly, anyway. But because Saigon fell, and because when that happened, there was no chance of getting any word to anybody, particularly a Kim, in in Vietnam. It was entirely possible for them to, for him to actually fall in love with her, and actually, actually be a love story, and then 
it's closed off. He could t spend two years trying to find her, trying to locate yeah. her, and then finally give up because it would be impossible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so suddenly we were able to have an actual love story instead of some instead of an American using this girl and um, discarding her, you know, uh -huh. which is what happens yeah, yeah, yeah. in Madame Butterfly. So that was that was, but we we that happened because we just discussed who he was, you know, why would he be, what you know he would he would have been because most of the soldiers in Vietnam were from the south they were rednecks they were not very well educated they were the, they were people who didn't have much other, much else going for them yeah. the second world war had a really had college educated high school educated i mean really it was sort of famous for being the smartest army that ever went out the american army because everybody was was educated but vietnam was not those people got out of the draft and and the people who yeah. went into the army were ordinary very ordinary guys. So this, so uh -huh. you know, Chris would not have any any worldliness whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And 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 surprise, not surprisingly, his best friend would be a black guy, which would never have happened yeah, in the United States. In the South, he would never have that have a best friend who was black. But in the army, it happened all the time, because you were thrown together with people, and uh, so it just it suddenly by just discussing who he really was, the story started to change. Do you have a dream cast for that production? If you were to have anyone you wanted from any period of time ever, who would you have in Ain't Misbehaving? I'd have the cast I had. You know, they, they were, none of them were people I knew. They came in an audition. Yeah. Um, you know, I had wanted another woman to singer. I was going to have a cast of three. Uh -huh. She turned us down, so we had to have auditions. Yeah. And, um, you know, in came this... I don't know if you remember Armelia McQueen, who is like a Cupid doll. She's from another planet. She's not from this world. She's got a soprano, right, yeah. and she's also a belter. She's amazing. And I thought, oh my God, that's my that. There's my girl. And a half an hour later, yeah, I remember her from. Um, she was in the film Ghost, wasn't she? Yes. No. I remember. She, yes, yeah, she was. Yes, she had a. She, she was one she of. She was. The, yeah, and sadly, yeah, she's no longer with us. She, sadly. she just died recently. Yes. Yeah. But a half an hour yeah. after that, Nell Carter came in, and Nell Carter sang, wow. sang "New York, New York," knocking the wall yeah. down. And then <laughs> she had to uh, she had to pick a song from the '30s, and yeah. um, we assumed that I mean everybody picked picked a '30s song from Harlem, you know. Yeah. She picked a '30s song. It was a '30s song. She picked right. "No Cowards If Love Were All," you know. Uh -huh. Clearly not a um, Harlem song. No. But no, she sang it, and I, I've never heard that song ever sung so touchingly. And so I, I, I was like, you know, what am I going to do with this? And um, wow. I sweated for two weeks because I figured I had to pick one or the other. And then I thought, yeah. why not cast them both and then build the yeah. show to an 11 o'clock number in which the two of them come out and hit high, note, high notes. <laughs> because if yeah. that happens... Everyone's going to go home happy. doesn't matter what the yeah, rest yeah, of the yeah. show is like. <laughs> Great. Good idea. And they were both sort of hefty women. So then I cast Irene Cara. Remember Irene oh, Cara yeah. from Fan? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Who is skinny uh, and young. Uh, we, uh, we have a rivalry. And then only two men. And they were Andre de Shields. The great Andre de Shields, uh, from who had just played the Wiz, and Ken Page, yeah. who, straight out of college, had gotten uh, nicely, yeah. nicely Johnson in the uh, yeah, 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 in I the black that. cast of of uh, of uh, of Guys and Dolls, 
And so we had two. So we have three women and two men. Meaning Andre that if, Shields wasn't he the one who was in Hades Town? Is that right? Yeah, he's uh, Andre. Andre is is yeah. uh, finally getting the due he has always deserved all of his life. <laughs> it's just he, he's. He's an amazing gentleman, an amazing intellect. He's just yeah. He's in that uh, he's in that diner scene in Tick Tick Boom, the, the movie of that where he is. Um, you know, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, who directed that, pays homage to all the big names from Broadway over the years, and so many legends are in that scene, and he's one of them, and rightly so, I think. Yes. So this this production of Ain't Misbehaving, the one you're talking about, opened in um, uh, Cabaret. Is it the is it the yeah. East uh, Cent- East 73rd Street. Yeah. Oh, good for you, John. My goodness. Yeah. That, yeah. that is the... Tr- I know. That's the... Tr- I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a brain which is... Um, t- it's very good at reading Wikipedia pages. Oh, well, good. Okay. That's very... <laughs> now, here, here's... No, we... we, we um, it was to be a cabaret show. They had an yeah. empty slot. I had once tried to make a musical out of Fats Waller's life. It didn't work because he didn't have a good second act. And the head of the theater, Lynn, Me- uh, Lynn Meadow, said, why don't you do a cabaret evening um, about Fats Waller? And I said, sure, I had nothing better to do. Uh-huh. And I went into rehearsal with a stack of sheet music, five really good ideas that I didn't know were that good ideas, but they were really good ideas, and this cast. And, yeah. and we put the show together in four weeks. My goodness. Here's the trajectory of the show. We went into rehearsal on January 1st for a little cabaret show. On February 1st, we opened and knocked those socks. I mean, the walls were coming down. <laughs> on March 1st, we closed. On April 1st, we went into rehearsal for Broadway. God. On May 1st, we opened on Broadway. What? And on June 1st, we won every award you can win in New York. On Broadway. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yes. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we've got your last show. We've got your dream cast, which is the original cast. And I must say, it's a pretty good original cast. Yeah. A lot of those guys from 1978, they were, they've gone on to amazing things in their careers. They, they have. You know, probably thanks to you, no? Well, you know, I was there and gave them the first job. You always can say yeah. you can take credit for it. I mean, I didn't invent... Yes. Nothing was going to stop Nell Carter. Uh-huh. That was the perfect introduction for her if she wanted yeah. to, you know, if she was going to go on. She was another life force. She was amazing. Yeah. So you've got... You, you're sitting there. You're watching this show. And the world's about to end, and you, it's the interval, or the intermission, as you call it in America. What would you choose to have to drink in the intermission? What would be your ideal intermission drink? 
Well, I don't know. Um, the truth of the matter is I don't drink, but I would probably have a glass of champagne. Oh. It would be a fe something festive. So, and the thing is, it's the last yeah, time. Yeah. And probably a really, really good one, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's nothing much better than a really good glass of champagne. I know, I know. Gary Janetti, who's a writer like yourself, he chose a glass of very expensive champagne as well. It's, I think that might be a fairly common choice yes. because it's such a nice thing to do before that meteor hit. Yeah. A really, really good glass of champagne. I mean, there's crappy champagne that, you know, fills the bill. Yeah. But a really good champagne really does, it really is different. Yeah, when you're on your fifth glass of champagne, yeah. that can be the crappy one because you can't tell anymore, right? <laughs> so, uh, so Richard, where would your ideal theatre be? If you could choose any venue in the world to watch Ain't Misbehaving for one more time, where would it be? Anywhere you like. Oh, I think the Schubert Theatre in New York, right on the corner of Very Schubert nice. Alley. Very nice. And where do you live? I live on 89th oh, and 3rd in Manhattan, yeah. So it's a little bit of a walk, but you could walk there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I don't yeah. often, but I, I, you know, sometimes do. And, and uh, uh, if it was in London, the Drury Lane is the magical theatre, as far as I'm concerned. But I've got yeah. to say, they've redone the whole thing, and it looks incredible now, Drury Lane. It really does. Lloyd Webb has spent a lot of money updating it, and it's phenomenal. It's, it's even more attractive and beautiful than it used to be. Oh, wow. So how about we could move Drury Lane to New York so you could just walk down the road? How about that? Well, that would be great because New York needs the Drury Lane. You know, it's just a great, it's such a great uh, <laughs> yeah. social theater. I mean, you know, the it really is, bar yeah. is, it's just a great place to go and spend an evening. So who would you like to see the show with? Who would your plus one be? In London, Nick Heitner. I, I'm Nick Heitner. Nick is just a genius. I mean, he's just, yeah. and he's so warm and human and, and all those other things. But, but, um, you know, we, we have dinner every time I go out there, and, and I'm, I'm always amazed that he tolerates me. <laughs> it's like, you, you said yes? Okay. Uh, you know. Uh, well, he's, he's obviously got a lot of respect for you. Um, I hope so. Where would you go for dinner afterwards then? If you, if you went with Nick Heitner to watch him misbehaving, you've enjoyed a nice glass of champagne watching the original cast in Drury Lane, but in New York, where would you go for dinner? And it could be anywhere in the world. Well, I'm kind of sentimental about the theater. I go to the Ivy. Very nice. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I, the Ivy doesn't exist in New York. There's no such, there's no parallel. You know, there, there's no, uh, you know, theater hangout place that's, that's kind of upscale. And the Ivy is just like for theater royalty, and it's, it's too bad we don't have it. And Philadelphia had three out-of-town theaters, um, uh -huh. um, one of the hotels had a had a, a sort of supper club that was on the top floor that was that was open only to casts of shows that came through that were playing and and so there were there were always shows playing there. Oh really? And you'd go there and there would be the cast of Sugar playing that with the with the cast of Anyone Can Whistle. You know, yeah, just wow. everybody would be there. The stars and the cat and the musicians would all be there. It was. Uh, kind of great yeah i tell you what i love i love how you speak so romantically about new york but then how you speak so romantically about london it's, it's nice because people know there's sort of a, a thing between london and new york sometimes where there's a bit of rivalry it's like who does what better but it's nice to it's nice that you appreciate both of them for their individual merits well i mean theater in in london is so civilized i mean you go to london and you buy a ticket to something and you go to see it and you have a great time. It can be the worst play ever, but you just, 
I don't know. There's something you you like it. <laughs> yes. In New York, if it's a bad play, you hate it, and you just you know wish you hadn't gone. But um, and all of this, you know, all of this romance was based upon a, a time when theater didn't cost the what it what it costs now. You know. Mm. Yeah, of course. I mean, I just bought house seats for my daughter and me to go and see a strange loop. Very successful. I mean, very very popular. But very you know, strange show, an unusual show, r- remarkable, but but uh, yeah. not conventional. And uh, I didn't ask. Uh, I didn't ask what the price was. And so when I got to the theater, picked up the th- tickets, I found out they were two hundred dollars a piece. I'm thinking, my goodness, two hundred dollars a piece. Who who pays two hundred dollars a piece? It turns out that was the house seat price, the actual price, the box office price for the orchestra was $350 a piece. Oh, my God. I mean, so, you know, you could go, you can go to London and you could just kind of, you know, you used to go and they cost, you know, tuppence to go. Yeah, yeah, you you could see, you could get great seats for Western Shore for £15 when I first Yes, anything, anything, you know. know. Top price seats were something like 35 or maybe 40 Yeah. But three hundred and fifty dollars. So that completely precludes any kind of families going together, because you're talking. That's the price of a holiday, a vacation somewhere, isn't yeah, it? But that's the, over a thousand pounds. No, but that's the thing, John. There, those theaters are full. No, yeah. Wicked is absolutely sold out every night. Phantom. Yeah. I mean, Hamilton sold out every night, and you know people are paying five hundred dollars a ticket. Yeah. Uh, you know. $1,000 a ticket? I don't know where all these rich people are coming from. People must be richer in the United States than ever before. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe because nobody was spending money for two years, were they? There's the there's the Broadway grosses, isn't there, that get released by Broadway World, where you can it, yeah. look at what percentage of tickets had sold that week and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I remember looking at Hamilton, and they'd sold 110% of their tickets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of thought, huh? Just bonkers. We have had a celebrity send in a question that they would like to ask you. Really? Do I get to guess who the celebrity is? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, you guess. Don't worry. Ooh, it's the celebrity question. Ooh, who could it be? Who's the celebrity? Question from. Now, 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 you see here, Richard, I got a, a, a question for you. It, 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 is, there, is there something that you know now that, that, that you wish you knew when you were starting out? So it's, uh, something you've learned, you hear? There you go. That was Jimmy Stewart, of course, asking you if there's something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started out. Uh you, you had me. I was trying to figure out who on earth could that possibly be that I actually know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, he obviously recorded that before 1994 when he died. I've forgotten what this question is. So have I. Would you like to hear Jimmy Jimmy say it again? Please no. Uh, <laughs> I would say. Uh, I I would say um, write more. Um, right. Okay. I, you get so involved in take in the in the time it takes to write something. And um, I, I, and one of the problems of directing and then writing too is that that directing is is a is art of a full time job, you know. And at this point in my life, I wish I had written more. That's all. Yeah. 
Is that to do with the legacy? Is that what you leave behind? Is that part of that? Do you think? Uh, yes, I mean, children and art are, are, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it also is um, the wide range of things that a number of shows right. tell, tells about you. You know, the picture it paints. Yeah. Um, directing doesn't necess- doesn't do a whole lot for you though, because it, it isn't as personal as writing. Yeah. You know, I directed. I'm not a choreographer. I'm not a yeah. dancer. Yeah. You know, what am I doing yeah. being there at all? Well, I understood from watching the material what was going on, and I wasn't yeah. seduced by Bob Fosse's persona, you know, who was, <laughs> listen, I was doing it yeah. with, I was doing it with his wife, his mistress, and his daughter. I mean, please. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, you can tell me then. I mean, obviously, you must have known that whole era of people. Fosse Verdon, that TV show that was on a couple of years ago. I mean, that was that an accurate representation of what went on then? I suspect it was. I mean, I didn't have that much to do with them. I, 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 had, to, um, I had to keep them at arm's length because <laughs> Fosse was such a... a, a, a um, I want to say charismatic, but that's not even the right word. He was he was um, seductive, uh, in, and yeah. when you entered his world, you got sucked in, and you know, right? They were all in their complicated relationships and their complicated connections to him. They, those were still alive. They were never going to go away, and they all defined their relationship to who he was and what his material was. They saw something uh-huh. in there. Which nobody else would would see. I looked at the material from the outside and was able to put the show together. So almost um, not just a director then, but a dramaturg maybe. No, I mean just saying that. that oh, do you not that, like that word? That, that, that you no, I, I don't particularly like that word. But 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 it, yeah. that's one skill, and it takes a good deal of time to put that uh, that show mm-hmm. together. Uh, when it's over, it's hard. For anyone to know what I did with a, with making Fosse work, you know, right. I know it. It's but it's not really mine, you know. You, yeah. I can't send someone to it as a as an example of me, you know. I would say, you know, like the best acting, the best direction, you don't see it necessarily. Yeah. and yeah. I mean that's that's you know part of the, the. It's a sad thing for directors because I mean, Hal Prince is uh, who is you know this monumental creator um, is. All of his, all of his shows are being redirected by other people. His classic productions yeah. are disappearing. You know, is anybody going to ever see anything like the original Sweeney Todd or the original um, Little Night Music? Yeah. They're all done differently, and and the genius of those productions is kind of lost. Now, I want to come back to the um, the, the whole romantic uh, vibe here. Your dad was uh, a musician and an arranger, wasn't he? Uh, which is like a totally incredible skill, and they're so hard to get good arrangers. And I read that you used to visit recording studios and recording sessions with him. Do you think that was... Um, do you think that was the foundation of your career, where, where it started, and, and that you going into the world of music was inevitable as a result? Or was there an actual moment when you were bitten by the theatre bug? My, I used to, we moved to New York when I was seven and we started going to musicals and I think I saw West, Where's Charlie with Ray Bolger or, or, or oh, the first one was Carousel. That was the first show I went to see. Wow. And, and um, 
it was late in the run, and and all, I wanted to be a set designer. I loved the scenery. I, I, I you know, yeah. I, I had a marionette theater, which was basically nothing but scenery changing. <laughs> it was like right. um, I, a puppet was sort of dangle across the stage every now and then, but I never paid any attention to them. Um, uh, but I wanted to be—I wanted to do that. I loved the Radio City Music Hall for the scenery, and uh, I loved opera for the scenery, and uh, that's really what I wanted until I got to Yale and discovered that I can't draw. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> right. Okay. That's quite a big. That's quite needed, isn't it? Yeah, that, that was the, that was the end yeah. of my uh, my artistic career. So I, you know. Like that scene in in um, in Fame when she throws her dance bag in front of the subway. I, well, I'll do it. I'll write lyrics instead. That <laughs> I'd um, forgotten what the question was. Um, uh, me too. We're talking about carousel. Oh, oh yes, about oh, about, saw, yeah. about going about about starting. Well, when when I was putting Ain't Misbehaving together, when it, after it, it had opened and I was watching it, and I was saying that there was this perfect logic to the to the music, to the structure of the whole show. This goes to that, it goes to that. It, it, there's, there's a sort of an inner logic. And I wondered where I got it from. Yeah. And I thought, when I went, in all those times when my father would be, would have recording sessions, um, and he would, they, they, he did transcription recordings, which were like 10 songs in three hours. And, wow. um, and then commercial recordings that were three, four songs in three hours. And I would just go and sort of hang out. I wouldn't pay, you know, nobody paid yeah. attention to me. I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. I listened to the records when the records came out over and over again. And my father was just he, an artist of the, the two and a half minute recording. The, the, they, were, they were little pieces of mathematical precision. They would talk okay. this way, and then we'd go that way, and then, and then the pieces would come together in a solution, and then they would, they would end. And I think I got it. I got that sense of structure, not because he taught it to me, but by osmosis. It just went through yeah. my skin. Yes. And I just it have a kind of an inner clock that is structural. Mm. Well, I listened to his uh, top 40 song, St. Louis Blues Mambo. Yes, right. Yes. Beautiful piece of music. It, yeah, I mean, that's a perfect example of a, of a, of a mathematical precision. It, you know, yes. There was a Mambo craze. He was told he, wanted, he was supposed to do a recording. Um, he had no idea what a Mambo was. He called up a drummer friend of his who told him that it was a combination of five different rhythms that went simultaneously or went in sequence. And he took those five different pieces right. and laid them out one after another in the song so that this was right. the one, this was the next, this was the next, and then they all started weaving together and they came and they, they played out. I didn't know that's what a mumbo was. How interesting. It was a, it was a perfect piece of, 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 of construction. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you're around that, you kind of you kind of get it, you know. Is that also where you found a love for problem solving and, and puzzles? Then, if that kind of because a lot of arrangements are basically you know little jigsaw mm. puzzles that someone's put together musically, right? I think that I think that is true. I I think of lyric mm. writing as um, uh, as very similar to to, to puzzle writing. You know, mm. well, also uh, lyric lyric writing has its has its given rhythm, unlike almost any other thing. Not only do you have to say what you want to say, yeah. but you have to say it over and over. And I feel that you, just, you, 
I like it the music to come first, and then I go over the yeah. music over and over. Well, sometimes I notice that in sort of bad lyrics, sometimes you hear like "I'm gonna go to the movies." Yes. You think yeah. that's not how you? That's not how you? No, say and, and, to the movies you know. should be yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I, yeah, so I yeah. I go over and over the melody until the melody starts to sing to me. Yeah, and then I write I write it down. Yeah, I was just gonna say it. That was one of the joys of singing Miss Saigon is it felt so conversational and it, yes. it never yeah. felt like I was having to fight the music. It felt like the music was helping. Yes. I always thought that um, um, I did that so well that people thought it was easy. <laughs> and it isn't. Well, partic- particularly Miss Saigon because, because, you know, Claude Michel is Viennese. It, it's, it's basically European rhythms. That's not American. Mm-hmm. So I had to find yeah. American locutions that sounded that that would have had those rhythms. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and I must say I think I did it so well that nobody thought that um, you know it was so hard to do until Cameron brought someone in and tried to rewrite some of those things and they didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I said, you know, you can, yeah, you can change them, but, you know, those lines won't sing. And he said, boom, 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 And lo and behold, they got into rehearsal, and guess what? They didn't sing. No. And so they went back yeah. to the originals yeah, yeah. in most cases. Now, obviously, as a lyricist, you have a love of words, don't you, and the interplay between them, you know. And we do this thing, I don't know um, whether you know, Richard, that Alice has got this peculiar skill um, with words where he can tell you how many letters are in a sentence. Did you know this? No. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to ask you now to pick three words and Alistair will tell you how many letters are in those words. They can be any words. They don't have to be connected. Any words whatsoever. And let's challenge him and see if he's correct. Okay. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? Richard Maltby Jr., what are? Your three words. Absquatulate. <laughs> Twelve, go on. Tintinabulation. Oh, ho, ho. Fifteen, go on. That's and Parabrostachian. I don't know how you spell that one. <laughs> Parabrostachian. Parabrostachian. It, it must be 15. It must be 15, Parabrostachian. I assume there's a silent H in Dachian. Is that right? It feels no, it's like a K. Oh. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It's 14, right? Okay, fine. So, yeah, that's the same. It's the same. So, 43 is the answer. You might very well be. I am very impressed and not a little bit depressed. But (laughs) (laughs) What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? What do you do with a skill like that? Except, you know, I know. Except put it in a podcast, yeah. 
Yeah. It's a completely pointless skill. Yeah. Um, it really is pointless. The only the only place it falls down is if I don't know how to spell the words, because then it's like, well, how can I yeah, possibly yeah. know? I just um, picked them out. Absquatulate, I just think it's just, I just saw it recently, and I, I just think it's the funniest word. What does it mean? I have no idea. <laughs> but it's just a great sound. It's just yeah. a great word. I'm, great, I'm actually going to use it in a puzzle, the next month's puzzle. But um, I'd like to set you the challenge of using it in a musical. Yeah. Are you still doing those um, crossword puzzles then, Richard? I do, I do in Hartford in uh, Harper's Magazine. That's amazing. Would you say you're a sesquipedalianist? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> That's one of my favourite words. Yes. W- would you say you're part of the anti-disestablishment? Uh, I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So basically, you know, lyric writing for you is problem solving. It's it's it is. finishing puzzles, and that and that leads me on to what we started talking about earlier with the crosswords. Oh, and yes. the fact that you set cryptic crosswords. And I know Sondheim was a fan of puzzles. I think he also used to set crosswords. Is that correct? He actually, in, he and, and Leonard Bernstein used to do that during West Side Story. They, 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 they were addicted to the British cryptics. And they used to do them. Uh-huh. Uh, when New York Magazine started, Steve offered to do a cryptic puzzle. And, and Steve introduced the cryptic puzzle to America. He was oh, the wow. first person to do it. And I was one of the acolytes. Yeah. I, I learned how to do it. Wow. And I just, I, you know, I lived for these puzzles coming out every week. And then every three weeks when he, when he got too busy. And then when he, get, when he gave it up, when company was going into production, he couldn't do the puzzles anymore. He was going to drop them. And I said, what would happen if I took them over? And oh wow, the editor of the magazine said, Sure. Hang on. So you took over from Stephen to write these puzzles? Yes. That's amazing. That's very well, cool. We, That's amazing. There, well, there was a period of time when David and I came to, came to New York in 1960. Steve had done West Side Story and he had done Gypsy. Uh, but he was miserable, be, as he can be. Because <laughs> as he was sometimes, yeah, yeah. He was miserable because nobody would take him seriously as a composer. He could get any uh-huh. job he wanted as a lyricist but no one would take him seriously as a composer. So he was in despair and feeling like a, 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 um, a rejected beginner, which, of course, we were too. So, mm-hmm. so David and I and Steve used to get together and have these evenings in which he'd play his new songs and we'd play our new songs. <laughs> Sounds like the best night. Every, every single person listening to this podcast wishes they were in yeah. that room. I mean, it was, listening. well, you know, he'd play the girls upstairs and he'd play in the uh, pretty little picture from Forum. These were, you know, shows that was. Yeah. Uh, I love girls upstairs. I, I, I had to, I did Follies uh, at the Albert Hall. Of oh years yeah. Ago, and that was one of my, because I played one of, one of, one of the young ones. And um, I got to sing that song and then, and then the other one, um, you're going to love tomorrow. Oh yeah. You know, oh, that's, that. Those are my yeah, two. That's just a, a, amazing. Yeah. But we used to do that. And, and then, so and cool. then, you know, when, when, when company went into production uh, and they were out of town uh, and they wanted to add a dance number for Anna, Donna McKechnie, the Hal Prince called David Shire to come in and, and, and write the, uh, the, the, the ballet, the dance music for her. The TikTok ballet, I think it was called. All right. Yeah, I've worked with Donna. She's an absolute legend. We'll have to get her on this podcast, actually. She's lovely. She would certainly yeah. say yes, I would think. She's, she's adorable. Well, um, yeah, I, t- I really do love her. I mean, the, my lasting memory of her, I performed in 54 Below in New York. Ah. And um, she came and guested with me, and she even did an introduction for me. 
Oh. So I was oh. like, yeah, I was, yeah, I was honored. Really was. No, she is absolutely the best. She's the most adorable person, and yeah. God knows there must be a portrait of her growing really old. <laughs> I mean, really, she's just not. Yeah, into. I don't. I don't even want to tell you the stories about after Fifty Four Below and where we went to bars and how drunk she got. It was very funny. Oh, did she really? No, you're no, <laughs> very you're, drunk. No, yeah. no, you're, you're no. I'm not. No. No, you're I'm, lying. I'm not. You're, I wish I was. Donna McKechnie drunk. Once, yeah, once you've had to carry Donna into a taxi, you know, you oh, can say you've lived a life. I, you know. I, <laughs> she actually did. She did. Uh, my daughter Charlotte did a musical. With Donna and, the, and the, okay, when was that? When was that? Yeah. Do you remember? Well, ten years ago, nine years ago, oh, okay. eight years yeah. ago, something yeah. like that. Just after yeah. after Charlotte graduated. All yeah. right, and, and Charlotte uh, does she uh, is she a professional actress then, and she works in the industry? She is. She was uh, she was um, Maria in the National Company of um, Sound and Music and wow. of other things. Uh, right at the moment, she is um, learning to be a teacher. Because she needs to uh-huh. have some something that isn't in the backup. theater. Well, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. not so yeah. much a, a backup, but also something that I don't have to tell you. The theater doesn't always repay you for all the love you give it. <laughs> nope. You know, you spend lots and lots of time unemployed, unwanted, and feeling like a loser. Yes. And uh, quite right. Hence this podcast. Hence this podcast. Exactly <laughs> so. You know. <laughs> And it and has nothing uh, to, and it has nothing to do with talent. It's just you know there are a finite number of of, of jobs and uh, and an infinite number of people that seem yeah. to be out there. How, can I ask how old are you now, Richard? I'm able. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you still working? Are you are you are you still writing? Have you got plans for any more shows or any more? Work I, I have that? more shows than I've ever had in my life. I've. Uh, 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 I just did a revision of the musical Baby, uh, bringing that up yeah. to date. I did a, a revision of the musical called Dancers at a Waterfall that played in California a couple of years ago, and uh, that's scheduled yeah. to come up. I have a new musical based on The Country Wife scheduled oh, I for love next that year. Play. Oh, well. If you, if you love well, it. If you need a pinch wife, I'm your man. Oh, well, you know... I, I don't I don't know. It's set it's set in New Orleans in eighteen eighteen forty. Then I'm not your man. Uh, the most the most <laughs> the most diverse population that ever was. Oh, you'd be a great pinch uh, wife, I would think. Yeah. If it was set in rural Wales, you'd be fine. Yeah. It. Why not? You know. I mean, the, a Welshman could have easily moved to New Orleans in the late nineteenth century. There's no reason why not. Oh, 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 they could have. It it was the most cosmopolitan yeah. city that America has ever had, and uh, up until the Civil War. And of of course, Richard, you you were very heavily involved in Story of My Life which was something that we were briefly talking about trying to bring back, weren't we, during the, during I would, the pandemic? I would so much like to do that. It's an absolutely glorious score. Um, it should not have opened on Broadway. Mm. It should have opened you know, in a smaller theater. It could have moved to Broadway, but it should have yeah. opened. That's a two-hander, right? It's a two-hander, and it was, it's a hard sell as a, as a Broadway show. Uh, but, um, but the recording has yes. been a calling card for it. It's a glorious score, I think. Um, particularly the, yeah. the second half. I love half. that song, "The Butterfly." It's the most, just amazing song. Yeah, they are. They all are. And 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 the way that the music just flows towards the end is just uh, remarkable. I think. Mm-hmm. I still would like to do it with you, Alistair, and and Rob McClure. If Rob's not available. <clears throat> 
oh, oh. <laughs> I, could, I could see myself falling in love with you, John. No, so... <laughs> I don't have to cross the street to cast it, is what you're telling me. There you go. <laughs> it's it's one of those albums, as you say, but uh, well, it's just so so beautiful. But as a as an actor singer, when you listen to it. You just go, oh, I want to do that. It's sort of the same. It's the same with the last five years. Because it's two characters, there's so much for an actor to do yeah. and get mm. their teeth into. As a vocalist and as an actor, you, you selfishly, you go, oh, my God, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? It's yeah. never been in London, has it? Has it been in London? No, I don't think it ever has been. And, and, no. and, and if you ever get together with... Um, I mean, any of the small theaters in London, and there suddenly are small theaters in London, which there never was. Um, Beautiful ones. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be great to do it, you yes. know. So, Al, would you like to do a recap of everything? Uh, yes, absolutely. Of course, of course I could. So, you would like to see Ain't Misbehaving, starring Neil Carter, Irene Cara, Andre de Shield, Ken Mate, it's Page, Nell Carter. And, um, and Armelia McQueen. Sorry, what, did I say Neil? <laughs> yes, you said Neil. Yeah, it's Nell Carter. <laughs> oh, yeah. A legend. So let's start again, Al. Okay, here is your last show on Earth. You would like to see Ain't Misbehaving, starring all of the original cast. You would like to see it at the Drury Lane Theatre, but we're going to move the Drury Lane to New York and the Ivy, because you're going you're gonna to watch it in New York so you can walk home, but watch it in the Drury Lane, eat at the Ivy afterwards, after your lovely interval drink of a um, glass of very expensive champagne, with your plus one, Mr Nick Heitner. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good night out. I mean, as I said, I've never seen a misbehaving, so I would really like to see that. So would I. Do you know the record at all? The, the recording? The recording is the show, really. Well, I mean, I know the music of Fats Waller, or some of the music of Fats Waller, but I'm going to go and dig it out. It's it's a, it's a kind of perfect. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's great. I've got one more game to play with you, Richard. This is called The Last Show Limerick. I'm going to read you a limerick that I've written that describes a character from a show that you've been involved in. You have to give me the name of the character. Oh, all right. Here we go. With the last show limerick. There once was a boy at the fair, made a wish and then woke with a scare. He was only 13, but the Zoltar machine turned him 30 with full pubic hair. Oh, <laughs> you're taking it on faith. Do you? <laughs> What's the character? It's Josh Baskin. <laughs> Josh Baskin, correct. Well done. Very good. Well, with that then, we'll say goodbye, yes? Good, good, good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on The Last Show on Earth, Mr. Richard Maltby Jr. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was The Last Show on Earth of a bona fide musical theatre legend, a true member of the theatrical elite, and someone I'm pleased to call a friend, Mr. Richard Maltby Jr. And not Robert Downey Jr., who I thought we'd booked. (laughs) Now, it's incredible to think that Richard is still out there working on new productions and creating new things at the age of 85, putting us all to shame. And he keeps on doing those cryptic crosswords too. Maybe that's why he's still intellectually as sharp as a pin. I guess I'd better keep doing them as well, Uh, especially considering my weak brain confused Liesl and Gretel from The Sound of Music during our chat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, she's the uh, 16 going on 17 one, isn't she? Well look, if you want more info about Richard and his musicals, then check out the links in the podcast description. There are clips from some of his shows, including one brilliant one of me in Miss Saigon. Yay. And if you want more of us talking to musical theatre legends like Richard, then make sure you follow, like and subscribe to this podcast. 
and join us next time when we talk to another very special guest all about their last show on Earth. On Here We Ask the Question, nobody dared to ask. If you had a day to live, what show would be your last? What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth. My name is John. My name is Al. Been friends a long time past. We want to know what show you'd see if you knew it was to be your last. What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth. What is your last show on Earth? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.